Welcome to the Scaling New Heights podcast. In this episode, we have a conversation with Don Fotopoulos, the author of the award-winning book, Accounting for the Number Phobic. In our conversation, Dawn is going to focus on how small businesses are drowning. She's gonna add some numbers from her research to back up her evaluation about the state of small business. And she's gonna talk about how accountants and bookkeepers are holding the keys to the solutions to small business problems. She's gonna say, and she is going to defend, that anyone can play, that CPAs, non-CPAs, MBAs, non-MBAs, and she's gonna give you several practical steps you can take immediately with your clients to give them a plan and to give them hope. So let's get right into that conversation with Dawn Fotopoulos. Dawn, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> it's great to be here, Joe. Yeah, it's always great to have you on. You're a return guest. You're a veteran of Scaling New Heights. You'll be back with us in Salt Lake City this coming June. And you always have a powerful message for advisors. And I want to start with sort of a condensed version of that powerful message. I'm going to create a scenario. You step on an elevator, maybe in June. You step on an elevator with a handful of small business advisors and you've got 20 seconds and they turn to you and they say, Dawn, tell us something before we get to our elevator stop. You've got 20 seconds. What would you tell them? Oh, man. I would say to them, most of their business clients are hopeless. They're just stuck in a working too hard, not making enough money loop, and they don't know how to get out. And all of the advisors are the ones that can help them have a hope in the future. Without an advisor, most of them will not get to where they really want to be. I mean, Joe, when you start a business, you have a dream, right? Everybody has a dream. And the dream becomes a nightmare because when you start to figure out, oh, my gosh, I don't have enough cash flow and you have problems and this and that. And how do we get to cruising altitude? How do we get to the dream that got us going in the first place? That's where the pro-advisors have such an important role. So remember, your clients are perpetually drowning. <laughs> That's my takeaway from that. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So let's put some numbers behind that drowning. You watch these numbers very closely. You're doing all this research for your book, for updates on your book and everything else. What are the numbers? What's the state of small business out there? So let's start with a Gallup poll piece of research came out about 18 months ago. And Gallup says for the first time in 60 years, Okay, that's since World War II. We have more businesses, more small businesses dying than we have starting up. This is a new dynamic. Okay, so we're losing our small business base. The other thing that Gallup told us is that it's taking less time for them to fail. It used to take six years for a business to go bankrupt. Now it only takes four. So we have more dying and they're dying faster. The second thing is, this was a survey that was done by Intuit. And they said, so how would you describe your level of comfort or understanding in reading your financial statements? And 45% of people who responded said, I am financially illiterate. And I mean, this is a very, very big statement. So I was joking with a colleague of mine and I said, well, if 45 were humble enough to, to really believe that they were and willing to admit that they were financially illiterate, what's the real number? And he looked at me and he said, the real number is probably twice that. I said, well, that's pretty terrifying that 90% of people 
that are running these businesses are essentially running them with their eyes closed. If they're not looking at their financial statements, that's what they're doing. There's sort of good news about this because we know that the pro-advisors can help fix that. But the other piece of data that really brought me up short was the cash flow data. And this came from the J.P. Morgan Institute. 75% of small businesses in the U.S. have less than 30 days of cash on hand. And that means roughly if you have a 27 million base, about 21 million businesses don't even have four weeks of cash on hand. And then uh, about 25% of those, so about 5 million, have less than 14 days of cash on hand. Joe, that's not a problem. That's an epidemic. Yes, Dawn, it is an epidemic. And when you're talking particularly about that cash flow problem, it reminds me of a concept you've taught at Scaling and that we've discussed many times 101 called the death spiral. What is the death spiral and how does it relate to the small business problem? Okay. So if you and I were just to stand on a street corner, we just to do a very simple survey and say, if you're a business owner and you're having trouble paying your bills, how would you solve that problem? And in nine out of 10 cases, everybody responds exactly the same way. I'm going to grow my business. What are they saying? I'm going to grow my way out of the problem. What are they growing? What do they want to grow? Their top line, their revenue line. And they're making a false assumption. They're assuming that if I, if I grow my revenues, that my bottom line is automatically going to grow too. And you know and I know that that's not necessarily the case. So the first, the first wrong assumption is I'm going to grow my way out of the problem. And the way I'm going to grow my way out of the problem is I'm going to go get a whole bunch of new customers. I'm not going to leverage what I already have. I'm going to go get new customers. Oh, I'm not getting them fast enough. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to discount what I'm doing so that I can close more business faster. And when, when I get, it's the kiss of death, right? The Batre de la Morto. If I actually do discount, what am I doing? I'm destroying my gross margin and I run my business on gross margin. I don't run it on revenues. But most small business owners have no clue about that. The pro advisors, they know this, but the business owners don't. So they start getting new customers and a lot of new customers. Groupon was a great example of this, right? We're going to deep discount. We're going to get a whole bunch of new customers. But then there are two problems with that. I've just bought myself a whole ton of more work to do. It's, a, it's less profitable than the work that I was doing before. So I need more capacity to handle less profitable business. And then on top of that, I'm attracting a price-sensitive customer who's never going to buy from me at full price. It's just like it's just firing on no cylinders. Right. So the strategy is really off and it's a death spiral because there's no way out of that unless you reverse engineer the thinking. So the first thing is if you can't pay your bills, instead of getting more customers, think of going through an analysis with your pro advisor and saying, how can I stop doing certain things that are not profitable let me start doing some trimming, some culling, some editing before I scale more problems. Because what happens is in this death spiral, what we're really doing is we're scaling problems. Solve the problems in a small, in a small controlled environment first and then scale, right? But just scaling for the sake of scaling is not going to get you out of that, out of that death spiral. And 
show, I have spoken to hundreds of thousands of small businesses over the last 15 years. And I can tell you, I have seen this every single time without exception. I can't pay my bills. I'm going to grow my business. I'm going to discount what I'm doing. And then I'm driving myself into an early grave. I used to be working 14 hours a day. Now I'm working 20 hours a day and I'm in worse shape financially than I was before. And that is a sad situation. It can almost drive one to despair when you think about it. But let's get back to your to your elevator pitch, right? If accountants really can bring hope back to small businesses, if the death spiral is that prevalent, if most small businesses don't have the cash to operate beyond a, a 30-day horizon, what can accountants do now to start curing the problem? Okay. So the first thing that I have seen, and this is part of my 50% more profit in four weeks roadmap, is that if Harvard Business School is correct, most businesses are over-servicing 67, almost two-thirds of their client base is unprofitable, but they don't know that because they're not looking at profitability by client. So let's talk about a stop doing list, okay? How about stop over-servicing unprofitable clients? Let's start there. Uh, so the first thing you have to do is you have to identify who's an unprofitable client. Most business owners can't do that, but their pro-advisors can absolutely do that. They can look at gross margin by client. They can run the numbers, and they can look at the client base and say, you know, it's the 80-20 rule in sales and whatever. But you know what? It's the 80-20 rule in gross margin. And so it's one thing to look at your sales by revenues. It's a whole different ballgame when you look at your sales by gross margin. So on a percentage basis, you may have a relatively small client that generates very high gross margin, and so they're high potential. But you're ignoring them because they're not generating a lot of revenues. So you have to stop over-servicing or you have to stop servicing unprofitable clients. You got to either convert unprofitable clients to profitable clients or you got to drop them all together. But you got to identify them first. Now, Dawn, can I, can I throw something in there? Because I know the audience that we're talking to and the audience we're talking to is OCD about their numbers. So, it, so I want to make sure that the folks listening here understand that you can go into any business and do this tomorrow but wait for it imperfectly, meaning that that don't go to the business owner tomorrow and say, I need to start, I need to sell you on a new process of either job costing or of setting up classes in QuickBooks or departments in another accounting system by client. And then after two or three months of doing this, by the way, after we've done this entire intensive process, I'm going to generate a report that we might happen to look at. So to concur with what Dawn is saying and to make sure that you understand this is reachable fruit on the tree, whatever it takes with the client to find that number imperfectly, do it. Interview the person who manages the account and say, on a rough basis, what percentage of your time do you spend servicing client X? Then go pull revenues, and you can pull revenues because usually there's an invoice or a transaction or something. You can get precise there, right? Put a rough G&A burden on it and call it a day. Because Ron Baker says that the imprecise measurements of the right things are more powerful than the precise measurements of the things that don't matter. Oh, my gosh, Joe. That's very powerful. Well, the other thing, too, is... uh 
there is a tremendous bias towards over-servicing large revenue-producing clients, and it makes perfect sense, right? This client's very important to my business. They generate a lot in sales. But a large client, a large revenue-producing client, is not necessarily profitable, and that's counterintuitive. So if you have a large client that requires special handling, that requires, you know, a, a, a parallel process to what you normally do, um, that your expenses are far higher with that client on a per dollar basis, right, per, per dollar of revenues than it is for your other clients, it may actually make sense to shrink the size of revenues, get rid of some of these clients, and actually make more money. And we have proven this dozens and dozens of times over. So to your point, you don't have to do, you don't have to do a thorough 110% analysis you just directionally have to say, you know, here's client A, they're generating X in revenues, but you're losing money. Every time you sell something, you do a project, whatever, for client A, you need to know you're taking food out of your mouth to do that. And this is like, it's like revelation when you finally get the numbers and you show the business owner what's going on. So case in point, Hal Rosen, who I adore, is an amazing man. And he was working with a guy that does granite countertop installations. And the guy was earning $39,000 a year. He's an expert at what he does. He was billing about $700,000 a year. And he's making less than the people make who are slinging burgers at McDonald's. Okay, something's wrong with this picture. And when Hal started to unpack the clients that he was doing business with, he was doing business as a subcontractor to some very large general contractors, but his gross margins were very low. So he was billing a lot, in other words, generating a lot in revenues, but his gross margin on those very large projects was very low. So we just turned around and said to this guy, listen, just don't work for these GCs. <laughs> you know, you got plenty of deal flow doing things, doing private, you know, uh, uh, jobs on your own. And the guy went from earning $39,000 a year to $139,000 a year. And Hal got him there in nine months. All right. So I'm hearing you. Then if we're, if we're trying to do some triage work, right? Um, and, and, and after all, if we're in a time of war, you know, people don't have to be brain surgeons. They need to be medics on the battlefield, okay? And, and I was in the Army, and I know those medics weren't doctors. And I'm, trying, I'm driving that point home because bookkeepers aren't CPAs and there aren't MBAs. Um, they're, they're, so, but you can play the medic role. You can stop the bleeding, you can dress the wound, and you can get them off the battlefield and then start getting really intentional, okay? So I love this one because anybody can do it who has any visibility into their books at all. You don't have to have credentials after your name. You don't even have to have a college degree in accounting because Don, I don't. A classical Greek was my undergrad. So you can you can be a medic, okay? But beyond that, that one, which is identify the clients that are creating the bleed and either change the way we service the clients or push the client out, that's a big one. What else can a small business do to address this cash flow problem? What are some quick levers the bookkeepers can pull? Well, first of all, let's talk about AR management. If we're mm. talking cash flow, okay, I've never met a business owner who's really good at AR management. They don't look at their AR aging reports. They don't know how to pick up the phone and try to collect against that receivable. They feel like they're begging for money. 
a whole bunch of stuff. So in Accounting for the Number Phobic, which is my award-winning book, in there I have a whole section on how to collect money that is owed you. You know, you're not begging for anything. You've already satisfied your part of the equation. You've worked in good faith. You deserve to get paid for that. So there is it's so great. There was a woman who bought the book in Canada. I don't know how she found it. I guess she found it on Amazon. And she said, I had a six-figure receivable that's been outstanding for two years. She said, I almost had to close my business. It was killing me. She said, I read that chapter. I just grew a backbone. I called the client. She said, the money is in my account two weeks later. She said, that's the best return on investment I ever got in my entire life. But the point is this, Joe, whether... Uh, the client reads my book or whether the pro advisor coaches the client on how to collect against those receivables, there is nothing that's going to help cash flow tomorrow as quickly as, as collecting on those receivables that are, you know, over 20 days, 30 days old. Yeah. And you have to remember too, right? If the receivable ages over 30, 40 days, the likelihood that you will ever get paid goes down precipitously. So it is very time sensitive. So it has to become a core competency for the business owner. And, uh, and then they have to be very disciplined about it. So whether it's the business owner that calls up or it's their accounts, um, you know, payable clerk or, or, or uh, it's their uh, inside bookkeeper, but they have to know how to collect against those receivables, particularly for service providers. They get into really uh, bad situations when they've done a ton of work, they bill the client, the client's sitting on the, on the invoice, and they continue to do work for the client. Why are you doing that? If the client doesn't pay the bill, then you say to the client, when you pay the bill, we'll continue work. I mean, you know, because if you don't, it, it's the only leverage that you have with the client to pay the bill. And if the client's particularly happy, and most of the times they are, then uh, then you got to force the discipline, you know. And, um, and you know, and the other thing too is you don't want that receivable to grow so large that it could sink your business if the client goes out of business. Plus, you're 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 continuing to increase your cost line as you're continuing to work against the uncollectible. So. It, it's it, it talk about a spiral. It, it is itself a little miniature spiral within your death spiral. And there's a great piece of technology, folks. They are sponsors of Scaling New Heights, so you may have seen them if you were there last year. Called Colbox, C O L L B O X. Innovations. It's an innovation within the space on debt collection management. But it it, it uh, by layering that with QuickBooks Online, and and they're working on QuickBooks Desktop. Uh, they're able to to bring intentionality to the forefront, to ping and remind you on a daily basis who you need to be calling, who you need to be collecting on, and to be more proactive about turning that over to collections when the time is right. Because that doesn't make you a bad person. That makes you responding to a person who's acting badly. And so short term, we can flush out the AR. That'll give us a, a nice cash infusion. What are some longer term fixes for people so that they don't get back into a cash flow problem? Oh, Joe. Well, the first thing is, and I'm, you know, one of these days I'm going to get to scaling new heights and I'm going to wear a t-shirt, Joe, that says gross margin or bust. Okay. <laughs> I am. I'm going to, I'm going to make a t-shirt. 
because most business owners are discounting what they're doing. That's their primary acquisition tool and their gross margins isn't adequate to really run the business. And according to Greg Crabtree, you need a 15% after-tax bottom line in order for you to have a viable business. So in terms of stop doing, if you, if you have to discount, because it's the only way you can do a sale, there may be other problems besides the price. It might be you have the wrong message. It might be that you're not doing a good job of articulating what the value is. For the, for the clients that you're, you know, selling to. It could be you're talking to the wrong client. It could be you're talking to them at the wrong time of the year. I mean, there are a whole host of things you need to look at, but, but discounting as a matter of course really needs to go away. So one of the things I talk about in the 50% more profit course is you can give, some, give something away that has very, very high value but does not hurt your gross margins. So a boutique owner can get a scarf or a belt or a purse or whatever because that cost is a cost of goods, and yet it represents a retail value to the client. So that's like a point of leverage. You can promote. I'm not suggesting that you can't promote. We all have to promote. But there's a way to do it where you don't put your P&L on life support. And uh, discounting is really – you've got to find another way to promote what you're doing besides just simply discounting. Uh, and the other thing too is if you are, if you're closing more than 30 or 40% of uh, your prospects, the likelihood it is you're pricing too low. In other words, you want to price in such a way that six out of seven people run away screaming, say, oh, it's so expensive. You go, that's okay. That's okay. Because the three who say yes or the four who say yes, they're going to be a strategic partner. You don't want another client. You don't need another client. Every single advisor I've ever spoken to is overworked. So it's not like they don't have enough clients. They don't have enough clients who are strategic partners. That's what they need. And so I just want to add a little caveat there because um, every, time, every time somebody tells me I don't need to market, I already have too much work, I already have too many clients, I counter with a statement that, that drives the point home that you just made. You have too many clients. That's great. Let me ask a follow-up question. Are they the client you want? Because you don't market primarily to grow your practice. You market primarily to have the practice you want. So I could I could sort of get into the minds of the listeners and I could foresee an objection to that. Okay, yes, I do have too much work, but I'm afraid that if I price too high, I'm going to cut all of my work and I'm going to go out of business. And that would only happen if first you change the price too aggressively across your clientele, so be systematic. And number two, you've got to have a line of ideal clients who aren't price sensitive standing at the front door. That'll give you the economic courage to change the price on those who are price sensitive. And then that brings to mind this great quote by Mark Wickerson that I love. At the end of the day, the right client isn't price sensitive at all. They're value sensitive. So... So don't mistake the two and think that someone who's value sensitive is actually trying to bargain with you on price. Just go up on, on the value communication. So I, we've got just a couple minutes left on, and um, I, I, I'm going to give you a challenge. Most of the people listening to this podcast are what's called a non-credentialed accountant. They're not a CPA. They don't have an MBA. They're like me. No CPA, no MBA, right? Um, and you gave an example of Hal Rosen and how he was transformative with a client Love Hal, great guy, but he's a CPA. All right, 
Do you have an example of a non-credentialed accountant who's played a significant transformative role with their client in the way you described? Yes, I do. You do? Actually, okay. I have a few, but the one that comes to mind is Margot Prokopak, and she does transformation by design. I mean, she's really quite amazing. She does turnarounds. She's a high, like a hired gun CFO. And you say hired gun CFO, but she's she has a bookkeeping background, right? Well, she does have a bookkeeping background. What's interesting is, you know, oh, Joe, I have so much respect for our community because these people are brilliant, okay? They really they are. are brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And they're, they're you know, Margot was working with a pilot client, this guy who takes care of pools. He is um, a commercial and residential pool engineer, maintenance, whatever. And he's got a multi-million dollar business. And she's worked with him for a long time. And uh, a few years ago, he got divorced. And his wife, quote unquote, cleaned him out, right? He's, He's paying child support. He... She got the house, she got everything. And she said to him, okay, we did a visioning exercise. You know, where do you want to be three years from now or five years from now? And the guy was absolutely hopeless. He said, there is no place I can be. I can never retire. I have to work until I drop. You know, there's no way there's, I'm ever going to get out of this. So you talk about hopeless. And she said to me, you know, there's got to be a number that we can hit with this guy that um, if we hit that number, we could buy him freedom because that's really what cash flow is, Joe. It's freedom and it's choices. That's what it is. So, so she says to him, come on, you know, come on, let's just figure this out. And after, I don't know, an hour or so kicking it around, she figured out what the numbers are that he needs to hit both from a gross margin and a cash flow standpoint. And then she put together... Like you said, you know, just a really top line strategy on what clients he should stop servicing, what clients he should focus on, looking at his pricing, this and that. And she said, I can get you there in two years, maybe 18 months, if we have a little wind at ourselves. And the guy was dumbstruck. And he got up, he walked across the room, and he kissed her on the forehead. He said, that's the first time in five years I've had any hope. And so what motivates me, Joe, is I want every single pro advisor to have experiences like that because that's why they got into this business. Because every single one of them has said to me, I didn't get into this business to cross T's and dot I's. I got into this business to help people. And, you know, I'm just going to leave with this one thing. If you have too many clients, the one way to call out those clients is to say to the client, if you... Uh, I, w- I want to sit down with you every month and go through your financial statements. And if the client says, no, I don't want to do that, or I don't want to pay you to do that, then you need to drop them as a client because they're really not helpful um, and they're really not engaged in what's going to make the difference in their business and in your practice. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. So my big takeaways from your conversation, Dawn, is most small business owners are either quietly or not quietly drowning. A lot of times they quietly drown. Uh, They may not even know they're drowning until they start to actually take on water. So, So they're kind of, you know, blind to the whole environment that they're living in. They're in a death spiral. They don't know they're in. Bookkeepers are holding the keys to all the answers 
the, you know, the answers to all the questions they have, and anybody can play, from bookkeeper to CPA to MBA. And a great way to get started with that, folks, Accounting for the Number Phobic. It's an amazing book. You can find it at Amazon.com. Dawn, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. So great to be with you, Jeff. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. For more information about today's episode, to explore other episodes in this podcast series, or to learn more about our annual conference, visit woodard.com. That's W-O-O-D-A-R-D.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned, stay connected, never stop learning, and scale new heights.